you are like someone who's like, I only eat donuts for breakfast. Ah, oh, I haven't had a donut in a long time. I really want a donut now. Why'd you have to mention donuts? I love donuts. I've heard that when you complain about all oh, your clothes being too tight, more donuts is the solution. <laughs> Howdy! It's Thursday, May 18th, 2017, and this is episode 45 of Do For A Win, the Atlantic City and Casino Biz Podcast. I'm Kyle Askin, joined, as always, by Craig Stone. What's good, Craig? Just like last time, not allergies. I am even worse than last time, so if I sound terrible, that is why. But uh, I think you're also struggling, so... Yeah. <laughs> well, mine aren't allergies. I, I've actually been sick, so... Mm. Actual sickness as opposed to my mm-hmm. faux allergies. I'm actually feeling a bit better. I, I, I took off work Tuesday. I probably should have Monday, but mm. but it's Thursday now. So Well, you've been sitting in a sauna in your room for the last <laughs> hour or so, so that helps, right? I'm not going to lie. It's hot in here when the AC is off. Yeah. Well, the AC but, is uh, loud, so you're you're suffering for your art, Kyle. I Yes. I, I do it for you, Greg. Yeah, thank you. And our listeners, I guess. But yes. Mostly. Because you would complain. Oh, I would definitely complain. They would complain, too. That thing is like... They would complain, uh, but I don't really have to hear that (laughs) face-to-face. That's a good point. (laughs) Actually, I do, because on Sunday, June 11th, we have finalized everything, and we are officially having a meetup at the deck at the Golden Nugget at 4 p.m. It sounds like some people might be getting there a bit earlier than that. Uh, I know Ed has said that he's going to be there around three. And I think that you and your brother, Paul, are going to be at least in town uh, early enough to do that. I'm the one that's a bit worried about when I'm going to be getting into town, but I think I should be able to get there by four. Um, So if you are going to be in Atlantic City that day, Sunday, June 11th, or if you just happen to live in the area and want to hang out and chat about Atlantic City and, and maybe get a beer bought for you by me, maybe. No promises, but that sounds like a promise. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll see how it goes. If there's like a hundred people there, you know, I might back out on it. But but otherwise, I'll try to buy everyone a beer. Um, it definitely come to the deck at Golden Nugget. I've never been, so I don't make any promises. But I have it on. Uh, rumor is that Ed is a very reliable person, so I'm sure if he he is organizing this, it's going to be awesome because it's Ed. Yeah, so he he's the one who, A, came up with the date and the place and the name Lucky Sunday Meetup. So you can find more info about it on our website. Uh, Kyle, there is a 100-ounce beer tower that you can buy. So <laughs> if there are 100 people there, you can give everybody one ounce of beer. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess that, that would fulfill it. I see they also sell beer in buckets. So that, that was more what I was thinking. But Just to, to, to burst everyone's bubble... The per ounce price of the hundred ounce beer is way worse than just buying a sixty four ounce pitcher. So do not <laughs> buy the hundred ounce beer tower at the deck. <laughs> These are the things that I think about. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're meeting at four p.m. at Golden Nugget. Uh, definitely follow our Twitter just to see where we're at. Um, if you're coming a bit later, like five or six or seven or eight or Monday, you know, we probably won't still be at the deck, but. Uh, just follow our Twitter. We'll tell you where we are. We might be at a craps table. We might be at a different casino, depending on how late exactly you are. Um, and we also have a post up on the website, which you can uh, go to. It'll be linked up in the show notes. Uh, just to 
make sure that you have all the information you need to meet up with us if you're so interested. Um, so the other kind of huge piece of news is that we have a guest. So we were just joined by Dr. David G. Schwartz, and you can listen to that interview right now. We are joined by Dr. David G. Schwartz, the director of the Center for Gaming Research at UNLV. Uh, he's probably best known to our listeners as the longtime co-host of the Vegas Gang podcast. Uh, he's also a prolific writer, both on Vegas7.com and his many books that he's released, including Roll the Bones, Grandissimo, Tales from the Pit, and probably most appropriately for our podcast, uh, Boardwalk Playground, which covers Atlantic City. Uh, how are you doing, Dr. Dave? Pretty good. How about you? I can't complain. So we had you on in October of last year, and the main huh. point that we talked about then was, I believe it was the week after we had you on, was the official close date of the Taj Mahal. And we talked about your history there and how that was one of your very first jobs and what it meant to the city and all that. But, I mean, I think the major piece of news that came out uh, between then and now is that the Taj is going to be reopening, hopefully next summer, because it was recently bought uh, by Hard Rock International. So what was your initial reaction when you heard that Hard Rock was purchasing Taj and the amount of money that they're going to be spending to refurbish it i was really glad you know i think it's a great property i always have and i think it's really great that somebody is going to take a chance on it and actually get it up and running again and i hope this time they actually finish the bridge restaurant <laughs> so if anybody involved with hard rock is listening please finish the bridge restaurant and everything will be good <laughs> Just so so we know, is that is that the bridge over the boardwalk? What is the bridge restaurant? Yeah, so I might not. I don't think. I guess I didn't talk about this last time I was on. But when they first built the Taj, Steel Pier was going to be a big part of it, mm -hmm. and they had all these plans. They were thinking about putting rooms out there or a casino out there, and they built this bridge over the boardwalk that connected into it. Yep, and they. The first couple of years, they used it as a helipad, and then the company came in and opened up Steel Pier again with amusement rides, which is still there. So they never really developed it, and they but they had this space there that was a really it was supposed to be a restaurant. In the back of the house, they had signs saying "Bridge Restaurant" pointing to the way. Mm -hmm. And there is even if you so if you're on the CF level of the Taj on the Atlantic Avenue or Atlantic Ocean side of the building, so where the beach is, there's an escalator that goes up, and that's where it goes to. Mm -hmm. And they just never, I mean, they, es they never turned the escalator on. It always had a little curtain in front of it, but it was there. So basically, it was this really cool space that would have been totally unique in the city, and I guess they ran out of money in construction, and they never finished it. Right. Well, I mean, I think that Ever. that story has kind of been well reported, especially with, you know, the presidential election that we just had. Yeah. Uh, talk, all the financial problems that happened during the building of that, that property. But um, just so so we or our listeners can know a bit more. Um, can you talk a little bit about Hard Rock International and their their reputation? Because the only thing we're familiar with is the Hard Rock in Las Vegas, which is not Hard Rock International. Um, can you talk a bit about yeah. what what they are? They're mostly pretty much everywhere else, and it started as the Seminole 
tribe in Florida basically doing a partnership deal with them. And after a couple of years, the Seminole tribe actually bought Hard Rock. So that is a very big milestone for mm-hmm. tribal gaming and with stuff in general because, you know, there's a pretty long history of relationships between Native Americans and the United States and, you know, probably glossing over to say it wasn't always a good one. <laughs> you can take my so History bit, 101 or 102 class if you want to. Probably a bit of an understatement, I think. Yeah, yeah. So it was not necessarily the best history. So it's very momentous because you have tribes exercising their sovereignty and self-determination actually becoming successful financially. And it's going to be interesting when you imagine or when you think about the fact that you're going to have the Mohegans in resorts mm-hmm. and the Seminoles in Hard Rock. I think that's really significant. And that says something deep, I think, about where the country is going and what gaming has done in, um, in tribal lands. Is there any sort of tribal uh, casino at all in Vegas or in Nevada in general? I feel like that's almost a, a non-Nevada trend, but maybe I'm totally wrong about that. Yeah, the, the tribes in Nevada don't develop major casinos, so they, they don't have them. But a I mean, lot, pretty much most of the other states, they do. But the Nevada tribes have not developed any major casinos. I mean, my, my guess would be, Craig, that the Nevada market's pretty well saturated. I mean, I, I don't know how much time you spent in Nevada outside of Las Vegas, but, you know, every gas yeah. station or bar you go in has slot machines. And yeah. so I don't I don't know if there's much of an appetite for more major casinos in, in the state of Nevada. Right. And certainly for the East Coast, everybody knows the Connecticut casinos, Foxwoods and, and Mohegan Sun, which um, were, I think, the first real competition for Atlantic City. So. Uh, interesting that now they're moving into Atlantic City in that uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it are people who had experience in Atlantic City are, you know, involved with the companies and running the company and, you know, running the operating arms of the companies. So I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good fit. So just knowing what you know about the property, which obviously you know the property pretty well since you worked there, what would you like to see done with $375 million worth of renovation, which is what they're talking about at Hard Rock? Number one, finish the bridge restaurant. Do something really <laughs> cool there, whether it's a restaurant or a nightclub or something that will take advantage of that view that you can see out in the boardwalk. I mean, just to tell you, when I did security and I was the just a general area rover, I used to go up there and hang out. It was pretty cool. Just stare down at the people on the boardwalk? Um, Sometimes I'd bring a book. <laughs> But And the good news is that it was pretty – you could take a little ramp and get down right in front of the Sultan's Feast Buffet. So if anything went down, I was, I was right there. It was kind of nice. Uh, yeah, so I don't – I think – I just think that's a really good space. I also think they should look at making the casino smaller. You know, over the years, they took a lot of stuff out of the casino and just put, put in slot machines. So at one time, they had – the Cas, that wasn't the Cas Bar Lounge. That was at Sahara. Maybe it was there too. But they had a lounge that was again on that boardwalk side of the property. They took right. it out and they put in like a high limit slot area. I mean, you, you don't need that many slot machines anymore. So I think the casino itself could be a lot smaller. You could have a lot, a lot of other stuff. I remember back when they first opened and when I first worked there, they had a place called Cuckoo Roo, which is a I think it's an LA based chicken place. 
kind of like El Pollo Loco, but I don't know, maybe more whatever. So they had stuff facing the boardwalk instead of just slot machines. You know, I'd look at doing that, getting a getting a retail mix in there, doing something along those lines. I think that would probably work. Yeah, I think the casino, making the casino smaller is an interesting point because Kyle and I have talked before about just how enormous that casino yeah. is. Um, it's pretty cavernous. Th- yeah. And one of the things that they actually talked about in their big announcement press conference was that the casino kind of has these weird narrow spots. Like it's almost segmented off and they want to just open mm-hmm. it up completely. So I, I think I know that one of the things they're talking about is completely redoing the casino floor, whether that means smaller or not, it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, Oh yeah. I really think they should go, you know, do, I don't want to say more segmented spaces, but have more stuff you can do around the casino as opposed to just boom casino and not a lot of other stuff, but Hey, they know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, so one of the other things we talked about is that just how giant the property is. So not just the casino, but it, it felt like, especially late in, in the lifespan of the Taj that there was just all of this space that it would seem almost impossible to, to use it all. And I mean, $375 million is a huge budget, but do you think they need to figure out some way to almost close off the space, or do you think they're going to figure out a way to use all that space? Because it's a giant property. I think they've got to really integrate the convention part. So the second floor is called the CF level, which I was told meant convention floor, and there's a lot of convention space there. Again, some of it they've, they've used. I think one of it became like a timeshare office or something like that last time I was there. But that's a real, you know, if you have your retail up there and your convention up there, I think that's also something good. The convention market is the reason why Atlantic City got gaming in the first place back in 1976. And I think that's a real underserved market and a place where they can expand. So I would expect them to develop the convention space a little bit more and try to use that as a way to get people in the building because it is a lot of hotel rooms. Right. And obviously, you know, Harris is the, the, the big company that's gone that way with their mm-hmm. new convention you know, complex on the property and refurbishing in a bunch of the rooms that are right next to it. So, I mean, I think that's a direction a lot of these these hotel casinos are, are trying to go to drum up more business, especially midweek business. Yes. Yeah, which is so, what they need to do. And, you know, you've also got the arena there and the Xanadu Theater, whatever that becomes. So there is a lot of space you can use for exhibits. Right. So, so speaking of kind of drumming up more midweek business, I think I think something that they brought up during their, their press conference quite a lot is the idea that right now Atlantic City is a, a one-night town, or or I think they said one-and-a-half-night town, right, Craig? Yeah, one-and-a-half-day day market. Right. And, and they want to try to expand Atlantic City beyond the weekend only town that it is. And, you know, I think they mentioned quite a bit about how they can bring in these big acts during the week down in their their casino and their Seminole Casino down in Florida. Um, do, do you think that that is is viable, the idea of trying to bring in these bigger acts during the week in Atlantic City? Yeah, you know, I think that's the kind of thing where you're going to need a critical mass or somebody might want to, you know, it's not like you're going to drive all that way just to see one act and stay an extra two days. But if there's another one the next night and another property, I could see that happening. And it's got to be the kind of thing like what happened in Las Vegas where it wasn't that they worked together. They were each competing with each other saying, hey, I can get somebody better, which is why you have so many 
entertainment options in Vegas. I think that's important. I also think it's important to do not just the big headliners, but have stuff that appeals to people, you know, different price points. Cause you know, people do like to be entertained. Yeah. That's one, one thing that's kind of, I've thought AC is lax, uh, pretty badly uh, behind Las Vegas, which is that, you know, if you just want to go see a variety show or a magic show or whatever it is you want to see, there are, you know, dozens of those a night, it seems like, in Vegas. And you'll maybe get one of those a week or you'll get some sort of resident show. Tropicana does quite a bit of them um, that's there for a short time and then they're gone. But there's no real consistent sort of thing that you can count on being there all the time. So it's interesting that that hasn't really picked up in Atlantic City too much. And maybe that was there back in the day, but certainly right now that's not not a thing. Yeah. You know, back in the day you had Legends in Concert, which I think was at the Claridge. Um, you know, that was one of those. You, you, did have, you did have stuff like that. So, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a real no-brainer to, to do that. And, again, you know, just offer people something more to do than just sit and play a slot machine because, you know, that's fun. But, I, you know, I know if I can go on a little tangent a little bit about the Vegas tourism numbers, talk about where vegas is going you know the amount of time that people spend gambling in vegas has really fallen i think it's down to like an average of of less than two hours a day now and that's people who gamble and more people coming to vegas don't gamble at all so and the city's doing pretty well visitation is higher than it's ever been so i think atlantic city to stay competitive is going to have to offer more non-gaming stuff although not just uh revels escalator of doom (laughs) i hated that thing that really freaked me out yeah you and me both <laughs> yeah like uh i don't know that's crazy so i mean I, I think that's a good point just because there's so much competition now i mean kyle and i just a few weeks ago went to the horseshoe in baltimore so I, and there's other casinos in maryland there are casinos in delaware there are casinos in pennsylvania so there's just sort of this encroaching uh sort of casino market that's closing in on atlantic city and so those people who i think would have gone to atlantic city and gambled eight hours a day i think those people still exist but a lot of them instead of going once a month to Atlantic City or going three times a month to parks or to, you know, Maryland Live or something like that where they don't have to travel as far. So I think it's a good point that they need to get that visitation. Um, I, I, one, one part of that that we've talked about a little bit, and I'm going a little off notes here for Kyle, but uh, <laughs> the, the airport has not had a ton of traffic They've actually been getting a little more charter traffic, so I guess things like junkets and and high rollers. But um, do you think that they need to invest in the airport, or is it one of those things where they have to get the people first to get, and then as people come, the airport will naturally get bigger? I think it's a little bit of both, but I think they definitely have to figure that out. You know, so like for example, you know, um, my mom will fly out here to visit me, and literally to get a Lyft or Uber or whatever from Atlantic city to Philadelphia airport is literally more expensive than a round trip plane ticket. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and yeah, she's stubborn. So she's got to take the train to the bus to the train and all this other stuff. And I go, you know, let me just get you like Lyft or Uber. It's like, damn, it's like over 200 bucks round trip. It's crazy. The, if, you know, I've got to think that if you want to get people coming in here, there has to be a better, infrastructure to get them there quickly and hopefully it's something of a 
competitive price, you know, because people, the regional market's big, but you do also want to get your people flying in. And yeah, I don't know. Are there any non-stops to Atlantic City Airport these days, International Airport these days? It, it's not a lot. It's all spirit right now, but I don't know yeah. where exactly they go nonstop. I know that they, I think it used to only be three markets and then it was down to two, but I'm not sure where it's at right now because yeah. it's not anything I ever look at. But uh, right. I know that they their commuter traffic is definitely down or whatever they call it, their sort of normal air travel traffic. I mean, I think this is yeah, something so you would know better, Dr. Dave, but I, I think that this conversation about the airport has been something that's been going on for 20, 30, or even more years about, yeah, you know, pretty whether they need the, to... Go ahead. Yeah, pretty much it's the airport and making Pacific Avenue one way. <laughs> that's been like since the dawn of time. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, th- I think at one point I saw an article about making Pacific Avenue one way from like 1910. <laughs> so it's, isn't that sobering to think that people like our ancestors were arguing over this more than a century ago and it still hasn't happened it's that's just so funny to me but yeah i mean the airport and everything that's 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 also a huge thing so what is the argument just so i mean this isn't something i've i've yeah. heard about but what is the argument about pacific avenue and it being one so way? pretty much they have they get a lot of congestion and the idea is if Pacific Avenue was one way, you wouldn't have as much congestion. But a lot of people don't, obviously the business owners there don't like that idea. And it's a, it's just a whole thing. And I, yeah, I don't know. They could invest more public transportation, but I mean, the city's already, and I mean, now the city is so nuts with the state takeover. I don't think they're really talking about that anymore, but I was looking at the budget and I saw something about it today and that's what, made me think of it on this uh, evening. <laughs> so do you know which way it would go? Would it go north or south? I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I do not remember that. But I know it's been proposed and proposed and proposed literally for more than a century. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, since we, uh, to go a little bit off notes for Craig, <laughs> since we've been talking about this kind of like non-casino development in AC, um, there's been... A bunch of that's come up recently with what they're doing in Showboat, which we can talk more about in a bit. Uh, the polar coaster projects and breweries, distilleries <laughs> are moving into the town. Uh, the Boardwalk Beer Garden they're talking about. You know, these water park plans that keep getting pitched and then canceled at uh, the old Atlantic Club. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you think that the like people are going to see like a company like Hard Rock coming in and spending all this money and it's going to make it more likely that people come in to do non-casino development in Atlantic city or do you not really know? I think it is. Mm -hmm. No, I think it could. And I I think whoever does it has to be really focused. You know, the water park thing, there's already a bunch of that kind of stuff in ocean city. Uh And it's even though when I was a kid, I thought like, Oh my God, that's so far away. And it was like maybe a once a summer thing to go to ocean city. Like, Wow. It's like, it's living in other cities. It's so close. It's like, what, 20 minutes, a half hour away right. or something like that, if that. So, it, you know, I would f- build the tourism on like, hey, if you have families, this is a great thing to do for the day. You know, that something like the Cape May Zoo. There's so much cool stuff to do in the area for that group. So you're not necessarily going to want to duplicate that in Atlantic City. 
but you're going to want to do more of the stuff like you were talking about, like the distilleries and things like that and the breweries that will focus on a different crowd. And hopefully open containers on the boardwalk, which is something we stumped <laughs> Hope, for. for. <laughs> hopefully. One of these summers it'll happen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the thing about Atlantic City is they have always been so resistant to change. And something like that where most of the population can handle having an open container of alcohol and they won't do anything crazy. But I remember when they started talking about allowing the beach bars period on the beach, like just allowing the beach bar just like 10 years ago. Now people were freaking out. They're saying uh, people are going to be vomiting all over the beach. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, like literally I have, I'm sitting literally like five feet away from a cabinet full of liquor. And I'm managing to not vomit. You know? <laughs> like, I, I don't understand this idea that, well, hmm, letting people buy alcohol and furthermore, probably at least slightly overpriced alcohol is going to lead them to binge drinking. And that, you know, I'm like, yeah. At like, whatever, what is it, like 10 bucks a beer or something? That's, right. yeah, I don't think people are going to be drinking that much. So, yeah. They kind of need, I think what people in Atlantic City need to do is to get more of a perspective from what other places do. And like, hey, yeah, if you go here, you can do all this cool stuff and there's nobody telling you what you can't do. And, you know, that's, and if there's somebody who's intoxicated in public, they charge them criminally. And that's, you know, people right. won't be getting intoxicated in public all the time. You know, I mean, not like I come from the city that's the best example of good behavior, but they do, I don't know, man. Uh, they keep a pretty good lid on it. I mean, I mean, I think that given Atlantic City's history and the fact that they're, you know, have been the world's playground for 100 plus years or whatever, it's always made sense to me that something like this seems like a no-brainer. And, you know, it's not that there's going to be, like, no problems with it. Like, of course, there will be some problems, but I think... You know, like like you said, you know, we have examples in cities like Las Vegas and New Orleans who who allow this and, you know, they have to have a slightly larger police budget or whatever. But that's fine because the amount of tourism it brings in is is way like way more than offsets that. So I've always thought it, it's something that if they did it, it would be good for the city, but it hasn't happened yet. So. Yeah, and I think it would just promote more of a fun atmosphere. Right. As opposed to, you know, you feel like you're in homeroom or something. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, no note passing. No, that, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. And why would you, you know, yeah, you're on your vacation. You want to have fun. You don't want people telling you you can't carry that from here to there. But, but, but you know, don't worry. It'll be okay. <laughs> Just getting people out on the boardwalk, I think, is something. Yeah. That right. It's, it's weird because that boardwalk is obviously like a jewel, <laughs> right, of the East Coast. And to... And you go at times and it's just dead. I mean, obviously in the summer during the day, it's very crowded. But at night, yeah. it, it really clears out because everybody just goes into a casino and doesn't leave. And I think in a weird way, sort of having the ability to just take a stroll with, with an open container <laughs> would actually be pretty enticing. I mean, for me, when I go to Vegas, one of the first things I want to do is just like go to one of the convenience stores, get a big can of beer, and just walk down the strip. And I would love to do that in Atlantic City also. Yeah. I mean, that's uh – and the more people you have doing that, but you get that critical mass and suddenly now it feels a lot safer and right. it's the kind of thing that you want to do. And if you're people watching and you're doing all that other fun stuff that people do in Vegas and other places too. 
So, I mean, just, just to kind of finish up this conversation, I think something that it seems to me has been, I, I think the people of Atlantic City have felt like they've been a little bit burned by, you know, the promise of the casinos coming in and, and all <laughs> this revitalization and something you wrote about in in Boardwalk Playground, how, you know, the opening weekend of, of resorts, you know, the all these restaurants around the boardwalk prepared all this food for the big influx of people they were going to get. And, you know, it ended up not happening, partially because these casinos are kind of ecosystems or economies to themselves. And, you know, the situation we have now where commercial flights are down to Atlantic City, but junkets are up, like that might be good mm-hmm. for the casinos, but it's not necessarily great for the other establishments in the city. I, I mean, I think a lot of the reason we're talking so much about this non-casino development is is the fact that, I mean, a lot of the people in Atlantic City who vote for the government of Atlantic City feel kind of burned by casinos. But, I, I mean, how much does does non-casino attractions, like how important is that going to be for Atlantic City's future compared to, you know, there's no industry that's going to come into Atlantic City anytime soon and be a two and a half billion dollar industry like like gaming is i think it's really the only solution you know if you look at what what gaming was intended to do it mm. was intended to revitalize the tourist industry and develop an infrastructure and yeah they could have done a better job of that but you know you look at it as saying well here was this 40 years that they had to develop something and they kind of got maybe halfway there with developing mm-hmm. the in- infrastructure, but now we have to develop the rest of the infrastructure and use casinos the way they were, they were supposed to be used, which was one piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. The problem is that once they opened the casinos, they were so much more profitable than anybody thought they were going to be that it didn't make sense for companies to invest in other stuff because they were making so much money from the slot machines. So I think now we're on the other side of that, and now it's time for a more balanced approach to development and looking at things that will get people actually wanting to come to Atlantic City and feel good about spending time and money there. Okay. So I guess one of those things that uh, just recently came out in the last couple months, and, and we actually interviewed one of the the principals of, of the company, is is the news that we're going to have this kind of uh, fan expo convention situation going on at the showboat uh, with this company AC Fan Expo that's going to be big into, you know, the the normal stuff that conventions are big into, whether it's board games or cosplay or esports and stuff like that. Have you have you followed along with with much of that? And what do you think of of their idea of what the showboat's going to become starting Memorial Day weekend, which is a week and a half away? I think it's a really good idea. Because I think that you have to look at who isn't being served and what need is there. And Mm -hmm. to have a kind of environment where you can do that kind of stuff and you do have that critical mass for that kind of stuff, I don't think that that's really out there right now. So I think it's a great idea. I I really like it. And I hope that more people do stuff. You know, this is kind of one of my theories about travel is that it's getting more and more niche and kind of the age of the everything for everybody multi you know single purpose big resort is going away and you'll have more boutique stuff and more people seeking out their own affinities and and stuff like that so i think something like this we're to borrow a term from the old postmodernists i think jameson your narrow casting i think works really well in this environment you know people don't want just 
to get your standard room in the big, huge monolithic resort. They want something that they feel is tailored to them. I think this is a great start. So I, I know in one of the the final uh, Vegas gangs, you you talked about esports and what what you thought of it. And I've I've kind of been on the record the thing saying that I believe that esports is going to be a, a really huge thing going forward. And when I saw kind of the the news that this is what Showboat was going to become, I was a little bit worried that they were trying to bite off more than they could chew. But I think like the the news that I've seen more recently seems like this is something that's actually might be viable. And I think the upside is certainly there because this is a group of people that if this works would never have gone to Atlantic city before. And it's, you know, obviously bringing in a whole new clientele to the city is only going to be a good thing for the city, assuming it works. Yeah. You know, I've always thought that. I think I wrote a column about, about column about this, like five years ago. It was like, Hey, this is how you can use. And then it was just betting on video games. It wasn't really called, well, I didn't call it esports, but it was more mm-hmm. of the, comp, you know, the competitive aspect and betting aspect. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yeah, even if you're not going to generate a ton of money from the actual gaming activity around it, you're at least getting the people there, which is what you need. So I think this is totally a good idea. A couple of days ago, I toured the millennial esports arena in Neonopolis in Las Vegas here. And it's pretty cool. And I think the idea of something like that, where you have a place where people can come, do their competitive gaming, get some sponsors in, get that kind of, you know, and you get people live streaming it, you get that kind of buzz. I think that can only help. Yep. Yeah, so I was never, I never really understood the esports thing. I mean, play video games, but not really online competitively at all. But the just this past weekend or maybe the weekend before there was a big tournament at Tropicana and I heard very little about it, which is kind of surprising given that I follow AC news pretty closely. But then I saw stuff about it afterwards, not through AC channels, but through video game channels like subreddits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was this big Smash Brothers tournament and, and people sh- putting up videos of it. And I was like, that's AC, that's Atlantic City. So it's kind of crazy to see those worlds collide. And it really hit home for me that, like, yeah, this is a big thing. Like, this is way bigger than I, maybe I realized before. Yeah, and I think if you look at the big picture, it's a relatively cheap way to get a, you know, for lack of a better term, a franchise out there. Where if if you were going and we're doing this in Vegas now, where we, which I, I think is a bit of an old model, where people are spending hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars to get professional major league sports franchises here, and the idea is, well, hey, yeah, they'll it'll get more eyes in the city, blah 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 blah, all that stuff. If you think about it, esports is doing that on a really small scale with right. a much smaller, much smaller investment. So I think it's really smart. And it's a good idea. And again, you're reaching people who are very, really into it, very passionate fans, followers, players, and all that. And I think it's a great channel to reach them because it's it's their channel. You're not just buying a TV spot on CBS or something like that. You're actually getting them where their passion is. Right. And I, I think this can only be, even if it doesn't necessarily have as much of a ROI in the next 10 years as, as a sports franchise would. I mean, I think if you look at the demographics and what people who are like 
14 to 21 or 12 to 21 really care about now. I mean, I think esports is just it's it's already big, but it's going to be huge in 10, 15 years. Yeah, you know, and it's also looking at the whole visitor and the whole group, you know, who are they coming there alone? Are they coming with other people? Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, that's how that's why casinos look the way they do. You know, why do casinos have poker rooms in them? Because poker, it's not profitable for the casino at all. Well, because if somebody plays poker, they might also play craps. And you don't want them leaving your craps table to go play poker someplace else. And their spouse or partner might play slot machines. And you don't want them going to another casino because they have poker and you don't. So I think it's it's also that. And sports betting in Vegas, by the way, is pretty much the same thing where it doesn't make a ton of money for the casino directly. But you have that tandem activity and, and that kind of stuff. And I, th- I can see esports starting like that. There's some people I think think that this esports and skill games and all that kind of stuff is going to revolutionize the business overnight. You know, I've always thought it's going to be a lot more incremental, mm-hmm. which is in tune with the way history works in gambling and most other stuff, where it doesn't usually happen overnight. You know, it's not like all of a sudden casinos took out their craps tables and put in slot machines in you know like 1982. Like, boom, all right, now we're dominated by slots. It took about 20 years and a lot of changes in the technology of slot machines to get there. And the really interesting thing is that as it was happening, people weren't really aware that it was happening. It's, so it's, it's kind of interesting. The same way with recent, you know, even going back to the evolution of slots over the past 15 years, you know, if you read the trade journals, the gaming journals, there's not such an awareness that, hey, there's this huge change going on. But it happened. So I think I think esports and skill gaming and what I call emerging gaming, it's going to be the same way with casinos, where 20 years from now, it's going to look very different than it does now. But we're not going to notice it because it's going to be happening so gradually. It's kind of crazy to think that there was a, a time where slots were not the dominant thing in the casino. And, and even more recently, that, that video slots, uh, you know, it, this idea that there were just a bunch of three-reel or five-reel slots sitting there. Um, Seems very odd because certainly since I've been going, it's been just a sea of these massive video machines. Um, so it's kind of funny to think about that and also apply that to how e- esports and skill based gaming might go. Yeah, and isn't it also weird to think that there was a time when people in the industry said that ticket in, ticket out is never going to catch on? <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, players like coins. Well, they don't like waiting 45 minutes for. Uh, the jackpot, the hopper yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the hand pay. They don't like that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's and like ticket and ticket out. That took like two or three years to pretty much become standard in the industry, which is kind of amazing. I think. Yeah, I think it, it was one of my very, I think probably my first trip to Atlantic City. It was already ticket in, ticket out at. You know, I stayed at the Hilton then, which was the old Gold Nugget, which is now the Atlantic Club, which is closed. But I went to Tropicana, and there was actually slot machines were still coined out. This was 2005 or 2006. But mm-hmm. that was that must have been the very entail of that, because I believe the next time I went to Atlantic City, there was no no coin out anywhere. So, Yeah, which is funny, because now a couple places in Vegas, you know, that they promote that. So, like, the D right. has their vintage casino up on the second yeah. floor there and El Cortez too. So it's kind of funny that that's now like, Hey, we don't, we don't do it. 
Right. Yeah. I know downtown that a couple of casinos have that. What's the, what's the place we went to, Craig? That is uh, all coin out. La Bayou, but that's closed. That got bought by uh, Derek Stevens, uh, so that's going to be Derek Stevens. Yeah. <laughs> so, something related to the D or the Golden Gate, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, it was neat. It was a neat novelty to go play with coins, but you realize how grimy and gross coins are after about ten <laughs> minutes of playing. <laughs> Not that slot machines are particularly clean. Do you have anything else on Showbo, Craig? No, no, I was going to move was gonna on say, to 10. Sticking with the, the north side of, of the boardwalk, since we've talked about Hard Rock and we've talked about Showboat, last time we talked, uh, there were rumors that Glenn Straub might be opening the Revel soon, which was, you know, named 10, still is named 10. And right now, there are still those rumors, but as far as anyone can tell, no actual progress has been made on that. Uh, do you have any new thoughts on 10? Do you think it's ever going to actually open? I have absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. I mean, I'll just say, what you know, I'd like to maybe make light of it or something, but to me, anything that gets people working in Atlantic City is a good thing, so I hope it does open, I hope it's successful, so mm-hmm. people have a place to work. But, yeah, I, I, it seems to have a lot, it seems to be kind of an uphill climb for a lot of reasons. I'll leave it at that. Do you think I, – I'm starting to get the feeling maybe that if it opens, it's not going to be under Glenn Straub. I don't know if you <laughs> have any feeling about him or n- know his background at all, but do you think that – Yeah, I mean it could. I, I, You know, last I heard, he didn't want to get licensed, and that's pretty much a deal breaker in for the Casino Control Commission. You know, I don't think right. they would let somebody be a landlord and not have a gaming license. That would set a terrible precedent. For, for a lot of reasons right. so you know if that if he is really adamant about that i could see that not either not opening his gaming or him not owning it when it does i mean it certainly wouldn't be the first time licensing issues have caused a casino not to happen in atlantic city though uh, though in this case i mean i don't think or at least i haven't heard anything that would cause him necessarily to not be able to get licensed just seems to be an unwillingness to even go through the process but yeah, I mean, it, it is a very intrusive process. Right. You know, on the other hand, the, the other people doing business there did go through the process. So, you know, I could I could totally understand why you wouldn't want to do it, but that's also why you, you know, don't buy a property there because it's, you know, and I, I actually say really interesting. The last person to really give an ultimatum on licensing was Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. He was, before he started building the plaza, he said he wanted a yes or no, because there had been so many situations where people had put money into projects and then went to get the license right before it opened and they, they didn't get the license. You know, Trump didn't want any of that. They, they said, yep, we'll give you a license. And so they started building. That was the famous Harris at Trump Plaza, which had quite a history. Right. So, I mean, just, just for me, I mean, it, the Revel is, it's one of the nicest properties in Atlantic City. I mean, I think that and Borgata are are certainly, in, in my mind, the two nicest properties there. So I think it, it is going to open at some point. I mean, who knows when that point is? Who knows if it's going to be under Glenn Straub or, or someone else? But it has to open at some point, right? Yeah. I mean, there's just too many rooms there, and the city's going to need... If you have places like Havers investing money in convention facilities, 
you need the rooms. I mean, again, this is why they approved gaming in the first place, because of the 64 Democratic National Convention, the room stock was really bad, and everybody said it was terrible, and the city looked really bad, so hey, we need better rooms, we need more facilities, well, let's do gaming, that'll work. So I I think you're going to need it if they want to develop any kind of robust presence. You're going to have to open up more rooms. So, Kyle, you mentioned uh, Borgata, and I think last time we talked with you, Dr. Dave, um, Borgata was still split between Boyd and MGM. Since then, MGM has bought uh, the full ownership of Borgata. And it's been interesting and something we've talked about a lot on the podcast, which is that maybe a year ago there would have been a ton of excitement about this, and now it just seems like there's dread about MGM coming in and taking over and implementing M-Life. And so obviously you're in the thick of of MGM doing all its private growth plan, charging for parking, everything like that. Do you think that we as Atlantic city patrons uh, should be concerned about MGM coming in? Do you think we'll see their fingerprints all over this very quickly? Well, I think it's for, you know, you have to look at why they're doing it strategically. And I think it's part of their, their strategy to grow a bigger foothold on the East coast. So if you look, they've got, they have uh, national Harbor, which just opened They've got Springfield, which is going to open. Now you've got Atlantic City. It's interesting because it's kind of the same thing Mohegans are doing with this triangulation where they've got Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. So you've got that. You know, you all, MGM's also talking about Atlanta and they get into Georgia too. So I see this as being a regional property for them that's part of this bigger growth strategy. Um, but I'm sure whatever efficiencies they realize in, in Las Vegas through the profit growth plan would probably be adopted in some way. So who knows what kind of change that'll take. I mean, that being said, it's a very different market and they have one property there, which is the top property, but it's still just one property. It's not like in Vegas where they've got about 10 properties. Yeah. So you mentioned that it's a very different market. And I think that's the thing that's holding out hope for us is that you know, the people who go to Atlantic City to gamble are pretty different than the people who go to Vegas to gamble. Um, so, I mean, obviously you've been in both, but do you have any thoughts about their ability to implement sort of really crazy things like six to five blackjack and paid, higher paid parking? Obviously, there's already paid parking in yeah. Atlantic City. But. I mean, yeah, Atlantic City totally pioneered to that. You know, $20 for paid parking if there's a convention in town. It's like, or whatever, maybe even more. I don't know. Um, you know, I think the thing about gaming conditions is they've got to they've got to be sensitive to the market, and they're not going to want to do anything that will alienate people. If you look at you know, for all the grief that people give six five blackjack, those tables are usually pretty full. And if people right. didn't, you know, it's kind of like what um, Mo Daylitz told the Kefauver Committee about prohibition, with like, hey, if you didn't drink it, I wouldn't bootleg it. You know, like, hey, if if we didn't play six, five blackjack, the casinos wouldn't offer it. So I think if the customers don't play it, they won't offer it. If they do play it, of course they're going to do it. Yeah. And it's, it's not that hard to change. So it's one of those things where they could certainly introduce it. And if nobody plays it, it could be gone or people just totally sit down at any table that's open. Don't realize it's six to five. Don't care or whatever. And, and that's how it yeah. takes hold. Well, there's, there's people who think there's, there's people who think that it's better because a six and a five is a bigger number than a three <laughs> okay. and a two. Oh, I'm not joking. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and not only that, but plenty of very smart people that 
that I know and I'm friends with have kind of thought that like, why would I pay play $10 three to two when I can play $5 six to five? Like, it seems like I'm going to lose less money that way. But if you look at the math, you're just, you're not right. You're going to lose way more money in $5 six to five. So, yeah, I mean, that's the same thing with back in the day when they had $1 black jacket Wild Wild West with a twenty five quarter ante, a quarter ante, and it's like that is right. destroying you. It's <laughs> Every awful. Time you bet, it's twenty five cents to them. Um, but yeah, that was kind of funny. And we even sat down at one, and the dealer was like, "Don't do this. Like, do not bet less than five dollars because if you bet five dollars, you didn't have to pay the ante." So that was kind of funny. <laughs> To be clear to our listeners, I was not part of this Wii. This was Craig and other friends. Oh, I never played. I never played it at a dollar. We would sit at those tables and play five and not uh-huh. have to pay the, the ante. But um, it, anyway, the conversation. I, I think kind of our last point we want to talk about, a more macro point maybe, is that, you know, I think there's been a lot of optimism recently about Atlantic City, which is it's kind of the first time since we've had this podcast and we started in the fall of 2015 that that it seems to us things have been a bit more positive, both how people feel and the actual casino data has been positive so far this year as well. Do you think that Atlantic city is kind of stabilized and is kind of slowly turning it back around or what are your opinions on that? I think it's in the process of transitioning mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not what what's happened in Atlantic city the past 10 years isn't a cyclical downturn where it is going to go back to where it was. I don't think that'll ever happen. I think what happens is that people are getting more realistic and you're also having this bigger diversification of attractions. And I think that long-term is what's going to help. Do you think that that hard rock, do you think that's going to, when that ends up opening up, you know, we talked that that's going to be a huge thing for the city. Do you think that that's going to grow the pie of, of Atlantic city, or do you think that's just going to take from the other casinos in the city? Because we saw when it was, uh, contracting that it seemed like as casinos closed it, it, I mean, it hurt Atlantic city a little bit in its terms of its overall gaming revenue numbers, but not that much for the most part. When one casino closed, the, the gaming went to other casinos. Do you think it's going to be happening in reverse that as new properties come on the market, whether it be Hard Rock or whether 10 ever actually opens, is that going to grow the Atlantic City gaming market or is it just going to take from the other casinos? I think it depends on what they do with the marketing, you know, both the advertising and and that kind of retail stuff. Also getting actual gamblers to come to town. I think that if they invest in that in a meaningful way, it will grow the market. If they don't, it probably won't. So they claim that they have an incredible book of of gamblers that they're going to bring in from Atlantic City, from outside of Atlantic City, people who are not coming to Atlantic City right now, because obviously they've got other East Coast properties. So it'll be interesting to see how much that comes to fruition, like if they they can actually come in and and build, because historically, at least in the in my history of following it, it's been if something opens, it's taken away from something else. But uh I think they're saying all the right things and it's, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about it personally. Uh, do you, so do you think other casinos should be worried about hard rock opening? I mean, obviously there's all this talk about the North Jersey casinos and how that would cause one or more casinos in Atlantic city to close. Do you think there's a similar outlook with hard rock or if you're, if you're a casino owner of other properties, are you more optimistic about this? I think they need to invest and make it into the true more than a day and a half vacation. You know, if you look at Las Vegas, 
the average person who comes to Las Vegas goes to six casinos. That's the average number of casinos they go to. So if you had even, you know, 20 million people a year, 15 million people a year, and each of them is going to six casinos each time they're in Atlantic City, that's going to be really good. You know, even if you say, well, it's only four because it's a smaller market or something like that. You know, I think you have to look at having a property that is going to attract people for stuff other than gaming. And if you look at Las Vegas and other places, what they are focusing on is stuff like food and beverage, because you tend to decide that when you're in town. You know, something, usually people, I think, decide where they're going to gamble before they go, especially if they're a casino customer and they're there. You know, they got a comp to go there. Entertainment, a lot of times people have already decided that, especially if it's a big ticket show. You know, but everybody eats, and most people don't totally obsess about where they're going to eat any given day. So that's why in Vegas you've seen so much growth around that and so much so much of that. I think that the places in town will need to beef up what they offer and need to compete for that, and that will help. And I'll also say if Atlantic City casinos had done that historically, the city would be in a much better place today. I mean, they have done an extent. If you look at stuff like the Quarter at the Tropicana, that was clearly a reaction to Borgata's impending opening. So I think when companies do it, it ends up helping everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that I think we've sort of lamented a decent amount, which is that Vegas, you see sort of these wars almost, like burger wars. Every There were just a ton of burger places opening, right, at, at one point, And everybody's got a steakhouse where they're trying to one-up another steakhouse. And, and in Atlantic City, sometimes it almost feels like Borgata's just trying to one-up themselves rather than anyone else really coming in and competing. I mean, like you mentioned, the quarter has some good stuff. I, I think they're the only other people who are even in the conversation as far as real variety of dining. And then a lot of the casinos just kind of have the standards, like what you expect them to have, a coffee shop, a burger place, a steak place. Uh, and we're starting to see that go um, more to the higher end or like name brand, I guess, if you want to call it that a little bit. And so hopefully Hard Rock continues that quite a bit. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's going to be, most, be the most obvious place for them com- to compete because that's where that what they like to call wallet share is really up for grabs, you know. So if Hard Rock is bringing customers in, it's going to be really expensive to try to get their their gaming dollars because Hard Rock's obviously made them an offer and they, they're a loyal player to them. A little bit less expensive to get their food and beverage dollar. And, you know, while they're there, they might want to gamble a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, I think that all goes back to something we talked about last time we talked, which was sort of this constant battle that AC has where anything new or any casino that tries to market is really trying to take away from other casinos rather than to grow the pie. So I think Hard Rock is the first thing that really has come in in a while. Well, I guess Revel. <laughs> I really thought Revel was going to grow the pie, but Hard Rock, I think, really <laughs> has that promise. <laughs> um, so I think we're yeah. that pretty much wraps up all the comments we had. I don't know if you have anything else that you wanted to say before we sign off here. I think we covered it all. Great, great conversation. Yeah, great. Thanks for coming on again. We really Absolutely. enjoy talking to you. Um, it's always a huge uh, honor and very exciting for us to have you on. So thanks again for taking time out of your day and talking to us a little bit about Atlantic City. Same thing here. Thanks. You know, I've always got time to talk about Atlantic City, especially with you guys. So awesome job. Keep it up. Thanks a lot. Thank cool. you very much.
So just for anyone who, who is wondering, if you want to find out more uh, about Dr. Dave or follow him on social media, he is at Dr. Dave 702 on Twitter. And his website is G- DG Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z.com, uh, his website. And again, I, I think we mentioned this last time, but I can't recommend his uh, well, any of his books or or content that he produces enough, but especially Boardwalk Playground, which is the most relevant to our specific listener base. Um, it's just a, a lot of kind of three to five page stories about the history of Atlantic City, and and it's it's really great. So, thank you again for coming on, Doctor Dave, and and hopefully we can talk to you again in you know three to six months. I hope so. So I know we just said it, but just thank you very much again for, for Dr. David Schwartz. Um, Dr. Dave is just a, an awesome guest to have for us. Um, he's a lot of the reason that we got into podcasting. I'd say that the Vegas gang and, and Vegas tripping were our two biggest influences to decide to get into this. So it, it's always a real honor for us to talk to him. And uh, it, it's great to have him on the show. And obviously he cares a lot about Atlantic City. He grew up there. Uh, it really seems like he enjoys talking about it. So uh, really enjoyed talking to him. Yep. So anyway, to, to close this episode out, um, if you want to chat about Atlantic City with us or any of our other listeners, uh, please join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash do for a win. Uh, you can Follow us and find all of our content at doforwin.com, including the info for the meetup, which is in the show notes. Um, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and maybe YouTube if you upload it again. Though we've been getting about eight listeners per YouTube upload, so I don't know how long that's going to keep going on. You can follow us on Twitter at doforwin or send questions to doforwin at gmail.com. Do you have any last thoughts, Greg? Uh, so you mentioned twice now that I'm going to put the link for the meetup in the show notes. So now I probably will forget and there will be no link in the show notes and, and I'll be, a, you'll be a big liar. I'll make a liar out of you. That's I fine. never said it would be in the show notes. You're allowed to do that. If you upload this to YouTube again for uh, our eight listeners on YouTube, mm-hmm. every episode, <laughs> it would be much easier to just put the link in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. Thank you. Thank you guys very much for listening. And we hope to see you on June 11th. And Craig, when are we going to have a, a show again? Uh, that's a good question. We could either do next week or the week after. I think it probably makes yeah. sense to wait two weeks and then well, that will... We should do two before... Really? You think? I yeah. don't know. We can talk offline about, about dates. Maybe like a, a week and a half and a week and a half or something like that. All right. So we will talk to you guys again in some indeterminate amount of time that only we can know after the show goes off the air and you will have to find out the next time an episode gets uploaded. Yeah. Uh, until then, hopefully you you make some money at the casinos. Yeah, good luck and we hope to see you on June 11th. I think it's better off trying to get two episodes in before a trip than one. Yeah, so I think I think that's probably good. One news episode and then one like maybe a little bit of Yeah, news. so like news episode after Memorial Day planning episode right before we go yeah yeah good plan like it and then probably follow up the week after with a trip report yeah probably